I'm going to be uh, reading from Paul's letter to the Galatians, and I'm going to read from the fifth chapter, but, but I'd like to give you a little bit of an understanding about what's happening, uh, if I can, in terms of the Galatians. The Galatians are, is, from what we can tell, a little bit of a mix of Jews and Gentiles, probably more, probably more Gentiles, but, but Gentile proselytes, many of them probably were, which means that, that, they, were, that they were leaning toward the Jewish faith, but they were, they were Gentiles, and or perhaps they were Gentiles who, who were following Christ, but at this time, of course, there's, there's not really Christians. It's, it's a movement within the Jewish faith. It's still called the way, it's still, they're following Jesus and, and, and Paul has been setting up churches and all this sort of thing. And so there's, there's still some debate about how do we live? How do we follow Jesus? Do we, do we need, if we're, if we're not already Jewish, if we're not already, um, for the men anyway, if we're not already circumcised, if we're not already brought into the covenant in that way, do we then, as these Gentile believers, do we need to go fully into that ritual in order to be faithful followers of Jesus? Do we need to follow all of the laws in the Old Testament that our Jewish brothers follow in order to be faithful to following Jesus? And so there's lots of debate about that. Very unlike today, right? There's very little debate about how to be a Christian. Right, that was supposed to be funny. There's lots of debate about what it means to be a follower of Jesus today. And back then, it's the same thing, only there were these rituals, especially circumcision, that many of the Jews were saying, well, hey, you, you really can't be part of the covenant unless you go through this and you follow the dietary laws and, and all of this. And so Paul is arguing actually against that. He's arguing against that. And he keeps repeating the phrase, basically, that you've been, you've been justified by grace through faith. And Galatians uh, has often been called the basis for the Reformation because of that phrase. It's sometimes called Luther's book because so much of the time when he would preach and teach, he would go back to Galatians and the fact that we are saved by grace through faith and by nothing, by no works of the law. And so, and so, this, so this book is very, very pivotal in terms of our lives. I mean, the fact that we are here as Presbyterians comes a lot from the fact of the interpretation of, of Galatians that Luther began and then others took off with. And so Paul is, is addressing this with the Galatians about whether you should engage in this ritual or not. And so he uses all kinds of interesting things and allegories, which I'm not going to talk about because we're going to talk about freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the Spirit, and what the Spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not subject to the law. 
Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, quarrel, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I'm warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And those, things who belong, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Here ends the reading. It's an auspicious week in the life of America, right? What kinds of things are we going to be talking about? Freedom. Right? We might sing songs like, My country, tis of thee, this land of liberty, of thee I sing. We might sing phrases like, Let freedom ring. We might celebrate the fact that the Constitution says that, that each one of us has a right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so we think, as Americans, that we know something ab- about freedom and about what that means. And in this passage in Paul from the Galatians, this letter to the Galatians, he talks about what freedom is actually about. He talks about the fact that part of what it means in the life of Christ is that we are free from some things. We are free from the bondage to sin, we might say. That might be a very, the very technical way of saying it. But we are freed from all of those things that would bind us. We are freed from all of those things that, that we might do that are obvious to Paul that basically destroy community. Quarrels and licentiousness and all those lists of things. And what I want to point you to is a lot of people will make a big deal about that list and they'll go through each word and they'll define it for you and so you make sure you know exactly you know, what you're not supposed to be doing. But what the interesting thing is, it's not an exhaustive list. It's not like these are the worst of the worst of the worst. He's just naming a whole bunch of stuff. And then he says, and things like these. We humans have an infinite capacity to bind ourselves and to do things that make it so that we destroy community and destroy ourselves in a sense, rather than encouraging community and encouraging us to be drawn together as people. And so, you know, again, these lists are in the Bible, but most of the time he's not saying this is the definitive list. These are the only things that keep you from God. He's saying there are these things and they're pretty obvious. And there are some other things that are also pretty subtle and maybe not as obvious, but they're just as destructive. And we're really good at finding those things to do. We're really good about subtly binding ourselves in ways that are unhelpful. We're really good about figuring out in our lives, like, who, who's, who's on the right side of things and who's on the wrong side of things? Or depending on what you're talking about, who's on the right side of things and who's on the left side of things? You know, if you're a progressive, then, well, who are my progressive friends? You know, if you're conservative, well, who are my conservative friends? I want to make sure that I'm over here with them because we're right. 
And the way that we want to live is the, is the right way to live. We're very, we're very good and very subtle at destroying community that way, destroying conversation that way, destroying the love of neighbor that way, because we, just, we, we divide people into these categories. It's just, it's just one, of these, one of these natural things for some reason that we want to do. We want to put everything in a box. We think it makes our life easier to live, and maybe it is, Right? If those people are bad and uh, my people are good, boy, that makes the world a lot clearer, doesn't it? But I don't think that that's what our freedom in Christ is for. I don't think that's what our freedom in America is for either. But I'm not necessarily talking about that. We're free from these things that bind us. We're free to identify them, to see them in us, to confess them, to be forgiven of them and to move forward for the things that we are free for. That's the beautiful thing. Is it's not just in the Christian faith that we're free from sin, you know, that we're just free from sin. Paul talks about this all the time is, you know, everything is permissible, but not all things are helpful. Everything is permissible in Christ, but not all things are helpful. And so, you know, he writes about this often is like, well, don't, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, become slaves to one another. Become servants to one another. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love, become slaves to one another. Become servants to one another. I don't know about you, but I sometimes dream of a financial independence, winning the lottery, right? How many of you have sat around and, and thought, well, if I win the lottery, that 360 gazillion dollars that's up on the board or whatever, when it gets that high, that's especially when a lot of us who never play the lottery talk about the lottery is when it gets up to you know, 400 million dollars or something. You know, oh, here's what I do. And a lot of us, at least in public, have a very altruistic sort of street. Well, I'd give, you know, I'd give $10 million to the church, and I'd give this to that, and I'd, and I'd start a scholarship fund, and I'd whatever. But, well, in my heart of hearts, there are also some things where I'd probably do some self-indulgence, you know? Like, maybe I'd buy a really expensive suit, you know? just felt so good, was just cut just perfectly. Maybe I'd buy or at least rent that sports car that I'd always wanted to drive. I mean, some of you are shaking your head because you're, I mean, you're, you're a better human being than I am. So I just, you know, I'm not saying that you're like me. I'm just saying, yes, I have those altruistic sort of things, but there are things where that freedom would probably lead to some self-indulgence. I mean, I'd want to spread it around, but there would be some things that I would do just for Joel Morgan. But Paul says, don't let your freedom in Christ, don't let, don't let your being free from the law, and that's what he's talking about there, is because the law and, and all of those rituals and all the things in the, in the Hebrew faith were meant to show how much you loved God. They were meant to be something that was, that was supposed to, to show how faithful you were, but also how much you love God, how you were part of that covenant because you, you engaged in these things. 
But as often as rituals do and as the laws can become onerous and sometimes we just do them, we just do them, again, a subtle way that we can bind ourselves, we just do them to just show how wonderful we are. It's the old adage, right? You know, people, you got, you got your, your Sunday Christians, right? You show up in church, you got your suit and tie on, you sit in your row and, and the family looks great and all of that. And Monday through Friday, you, you, you treat the people you work with horribly. You don't really give a darn about anybody. You separate people into different classes and that, that gospel that you've listened to every day doesn't do anything inside of you. We're really good at subtly binding ourselves. But freedom, freedom is expressed in love and in service to the other. Freedom is expressed in love and in service to the other. This may be something that our Constitution doesn't have as part of it. Because the way we've interpreted it is, is often very individualized. It's about my pursuit of happiness, my life, my liberty. But what it does say is it is for, it, well, even though it was really referencing land-owned men, but let's, we'll go beyond that. It is really referencing that everyone has the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That that our country is founded upon this basis that all people have a right to dignity and opportunity. And to me, in some ways, that, that sounds like a, very, like a very faithful Pauline Christian idea. Because how we would talk about it is that all people ought to be treated as the beloved children of God that they are, that we believe that they are. It doesn't matter what color they are. It doesn't matter what country they come from. And in some ways, maybe it doesn't matter what religion they practice, that we as Christians ought to be treating them as beloved children of God. And not that that means that we just let anybody do anything that they want, right? Because again, that, that freedom can lead to self-indulgence, but that we don't act as if we've got it all figured out and you don't. But that we become servants to one another and to the world and to all of God's children. What would it mean if we were to live out this law that Paul says is that the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Many of us Christians think that Jesus pulled that out of the air. No, he didn't. It's right in Leviticus. It's right in the middle of how, of basically all of these rules about how they are to live. And one of the big things as you go through it and you see it in Exodus and you see it in Leviticus is, is about how the covenant people of God, the Hebrew people, Abraham's sons and daughters are supposed to treat people, the, the, the foreigner, the immigrant, the stranger within their borders. That they're supposed to treat them well. They're supposed to welcome them as a fellow brother or sister. That all those people that are strange to us, that are foreign to us, way back in Leviticus when you would 
You would think that this is really about locking it down, locking down the, the, the who we are and who's in and who's out. God says, if there's a stranger among you, if there's a foreigner among you, if there's an immigrant among you, you are to welcome them as one of your own. You are to, in some ways, give them an even higher standing and treat them well. Which may not have been the practice back in the Middle East those days. I mean, today we've got that all figured out, right? We're really good at this, welcoming the stranger and the immigrant and, oh, maybe it's something we need to think about. As Christians, what what does our freedom allow us to do? Again, we're going to have different ideas about how that's supposed to happen, right? I mean, as a country, how do we how how do we work all that out? I'm all for that, but I think as Christians, we we need to be erring on the side of love your neighbor as yourself, because our our natural tendency is to 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 love nobody as we love ourselves. Because for some of us, we don't really love ourselves very much. So it's just, you know, we just treat everybody else like we treat ourselves and it's fine. Or we treat other people better, but we don't treat ourselves very well. I mean, it's, very, it's a very complicated universe up in the mind. But what if, what if freedom was worked out in love? And what if freedom meant that we worked for equality and reciprocity, not just self-sacrifice? Because that's been... That's been something that, that Christians, you know, have said to each other over time. And we've said it especially to women is, well, you're just supposed to self-sacrifice. You're just supposed to give, 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 and never expect anything in return and just, and just be a doormat and let people walk all over you and all of that. that. That's not what this is about because there's no dignity in that. Everybody deserves dignity. And so the freedom that we have in Christ lifts us up to a level playing field as human beings. There, there, there is, there's nobody who's higher or lower. We have different roles to play, but, but each person has value and worth for who they are. And boy, that leads to some complicated conversations, doesn't it? Especially today, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to get into this too deep, but especially today in the area of sexuality and how people identify themselves, boy, let me tell you, it, it is, it's a confusing world for a 50-year-old white male who grew up in a pretty traditional household. I work hard to begin to understand and, and what, is, what is my role as a pastor? What is my role as a person? How, how do I love the people that God puts in front of me? How do I begin to understand what God might be doing in the lives of those folks, the lives, I can't quite wrap my head around it yet. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just means that I'm working it out and I, but I'm working it out trying to start from here. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can I start with this person deserves dignity? and honor as a person, even if I can't quite understand them and what, they, what they're about and what they're doing. Now, if someone is pursuing something that is damaging to other people, we need to stand up. I mean, that's what Paul says. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. When there is something that is wrong that is going on, we as Christian people, individuals and corporate, we need to stand up and say, we think that's wrong. We think what we're doing here is incorrect. Let's have a conversation about that. We're not, we don't need to demonize anybody. 
But we need to have the conversation. We need to stand up and we say, you know, in the name of Christ, we think this is incorrect. Can we talk about this? Can we together begin to, begin to move together to create something even better? I mean, we live in this very, we're getting more and more polarized. Yesterday, I heard a sermon where, where the preacher was talking about, you know, it's, it's really sad to me that, that within the houses of faith that I'm about, we can't talk about politics and religion. In our houses of faith, we can't talk about how we're treating people because it's too divisive, because it, it hurts too much. We can't, right now, families can't even around the Thanksgiving table have a conversation about politics. Boy, what does that mean about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? If we can't even talk with family, with other faithful people about what it means to be people of God and to live out our faith, we've got to do better than this in the freedom that Jesus gives us. Part of what Paul says here, he says, live by the spirit. Do not gratify the desires of the flesh. There's an interesting thing here that I, I want to be, I want to tread carefully on because a lot of, a lot of um, Christianity over time, a lot of preachers still today, they want to draw a sharp line between, between spirit and flesh, between body and, and soul. We, we often call this, you know, like body-soul duality or spirit and flesh duality where one is evil and one is good. This is definitely a Greek idea, not necessarily a Christian idea. But, but what Paul is trying to do here is to say, listen, you understand, like, we understand the desires of the flesh. Let's be honest, right? That makes sense to us in our head. Like, what we want oftentimes, like, sometimes I just want, like, a double cheeseburger. That's probably not the best for my flesh if I'm going to eat it every day, right? Okay? Not the best for my spirit either, because after I eat a double cheeseburger with fries and a, and a, and a Diet Coke, I want to go take a nap. So the desires of the flesh, I think, I think we go beyond that to his list, the desires of the flesh. So I, we see what he's doing here is that he's lifting up that in the spirit, it calls us to things that feel like they're on a higher plane. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We could, we could go through all of those and really dig deep into them. I, I encourage them for your reflection. How are you as a person of faith exhibiting those kinds of things. Where do they well up in your life? Where do those overflow in your life? And, and where aren't they overflowing? And how can you ask Christ to show you that? But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not subject to the law because you're going to live in the Spirit and you're going to do the things of the Spirit. The Galatians were struggling with right living with how should they be followers of Christ. And while the circumstances about circumcision and all of that are very different for us today, we must still have this conversation every day about what does freedom in Christ mean? What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? And of course, the question is, right, who's my neighbor? Well, Jesus didn't answer that question. 
He told a parable. Go read it. Dig into it and see what he said because it's the most unlikely person who is the neighbor in that story. It is the person least likely to be assumed to be the neighbor who ends up being the neighbor and caring for the person in that story. And we often miss it because we don't understand this, who Samaritans were to the Jews. They were the, you know, they were the redheaded stepchildren. They were all related. They practiced their faith a little differently. Jesus didn't answer the question. He told a story. And I also want to just blow your mind with this for a moment. Yesterday I was at a conference and the speaker was talking about the universe and about science and about God and talking about how, how large the universe is. Like it, it's just unfathomable the, the, the billions of numbers of planets that they think are out there. The billions of planets. And then when you go small, the billions of like little microbes that are in the earth, right? And, and if, we, if we as the people of God have been given to be the caretakers of all things, and you begin to say, well, who's my neighbor? What about the dirt? and the microbes, and the oceans, and the forests, and the way we produce our food, that also changes the conversation about who is my neighbor, because in freedom, Christ has set us free. We can do all kinds of things, but not everything is helpful. So this week, as, as you, I hope, celebrate July 4th, as we should, something that was created that was the first time in human history where, where, where human beings chose the way they would be governed. The first time in human history. Don't ever forget that. We've chosen the way we're going to be governed. And we can continue to choose the way we are governed. And as Christians, under the kingdom of God, we have been set free to love and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And may you experience anew what the word neighbor means as you reflect on these mysteries. Amen.